coaches are oftentimes heard to say uh, in no few uh, levels of competition, whether it's on a field or a court or whatever it may be, something along these lines, don't retaliate. Don't retaliate. Don't hit back. Just walk away. Don't you know what's going to happen? You know what's going to happen. The ref always sees the second guy. Right? So just walk away. Just walk away. Well, that's applicable not just to the realm of athletics, but really to the, to the real world. If I can put it that way, I don't mean to offend you athletes in the room, but to the, to the real world as well, uh, where we just think in terms of uh, our relationships with, with one another, uh, in terms of as family members, as, as friends, or, or even as, as nations. There, there's, always, there's always that point in a conflict that you can trace back where if we had just walked away, if we had just not retaliated, if we had just not struck back, it would have been a completely different story. In every conflict, whatever the scale, whatever the scope, you can tra- there's always that one point, that one point that could have likely have been handled better and, and differently. And so when the dust settles, we find ourselves oftentimes, if we're reflecting on it at all, we find ourselves asking, oh my goodness, isn't there a better way? There is. There is. Let's look together at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. We are pressing on in our series here in the Gospel of Matthew uh, that is the first of the Gospels that we have. That also is the first of the books of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We are in Matthew chapter 5. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we are taking this slowly uh, as we should. Not going too, too fast through this. Taking a look at what Jesus has to say. Some radical things. Some really, I guess you could say, counterintuitive, against the grain kind of things. Again and again that we see here in uh, this sermon. Uh, We are, as I said, Matthew 5, beginning in verse 38, and on through verse 42. Matthew 5, verses 38 through 42. Hear now God's Word. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Well, let's pray together. Uh, Lord, we uh, realize, uh, yes, you preach these very words there on a a hillside, um, there in Galilee, right on the northeastern shorelines of the Sea of Galilee, uh, some number of years ago uh, to a group of people who were listening and wondering and captured and captivated by what you were saying. And you intend those things, these things, uh, these teachings, uh, not just for your followers then, but for your followers now. And hard as it may have been for them, then it is equally hard for us today. And we ask that so first that you would help us to understand uh, intellectually, mentally, Uh, Make us students in in that respect. But we also ask that you would then drive the lessons, the teaching, 
deeply such that we are not just students and pupils, but disciples, followers, uh, embracing what we are hearing even as we struggle with it. We ask this in your name. Amen. Okay, I've held off for some number of months, but I, am, I can do so no more. Star Wars. Uh, it broke in again upon the cultural consciousness just here back in December with the coming and the breaking, exploding into the theaters with The Force Awakens. I, of course, you can look at me and see how old, roughly how old I am. I grew up on the, what are now known as episodes four, five, and six. They were not called that back in the glory days. They were just what they were. Now they are episodes four, five, and six. But then years later when the prequels, one, two, three, come out, you then begin to realize that, you know, the storyline is a lot bigger than I thought it was. It's a lot bigger than just the struggle between the rebellion and the galactic empire, right? When you, when you, when you watch episodes one, two, three, and then couple that with four, five, six, you realize, actually, the story arc is much bigger than that. The story arc is actually about the rise, fall, and redemption of this guy named Anakin Skywalker. That's actually what the story arc, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, is about. Now granted, the prequels could have been better, should have been better. But it, that's true. They, they, they set the stage for the second act, I guess you could, you could say. And the two together actually don't make a, as much sense as they otherwise would uh, apart, but they need to be taken together. Why am I t talking about that? Because when you look at the Old Testament, Rich as it is in its imagery and its history and in its theology, it is actually the first act preparing the way for the second act, for the coming of the Messiah, for the coming of Jesus, this one who is preaching, speaking, teaching here uh, in this, this sermon. Um, Jesus is the fulfillment. He is the completion of everything that we read in the Older Testament. He is the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. He is the hero of all the heroes. As you've heard me say over the last few weeks, he is the fulfillment of every one of those striking, extraordinary, amazing prophecies. He is the fulfillment of all of them. Uh, he is uh, the end of all the sacrifices. He is the end of all the ceremonies, of all that that was about. It was about him, the Lamb of God, come to take away the sin of the world. All of the, the key uh, figures, Solomon and Abraham and Noah and, and, and Isaiah and all of them, they are all ultimately pointing and preparing the way and, and all the events, the, the exodus and the, the exile and, and all of it is, is preparing the way for him, his, his coming. And it doesn't really make any sense apart from understanding that that's what it's all about, preparatory for his coming, his arrival and his teaching such as we find here, his teaching actually brings out the full meaning and purpose of all of God's commands, again, as we see in the Older Testament. So as I said last week, this is no ordinary rabbi. This is no ordinary sage or wise teacher. This one has come to fulfill the law, to complete it, and bring it to its fulfillment and completion. Now, uh, this part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is laying out, those of you who have been here the last few weeks, you know what I'm about to say, he's laying out these six contrasts. He's pressing on these points of, 
of tension of the times in which uh, he was he was ministering there. Uh, this is actually the fifth of those six. And these contrasts, by the way, I just need to make this clear, are not between, he's not saying, well, this is what the law says, but this is what I say. No, the contrast is actually between this is what the law says and this is how you've heard it taught. Uh, that's that's a very important to understand that what's going on here, that dynamic here in, in the sermon. And as foreign as some of this, maybe in particular what we're about to get into here today, as foreign as some of this is to our ears, we need to heed what it is that he is teaching. What it is that he is saying. He, again, Jesus has come to fulfill the law. Let that settle in. He has come. He is the one, the fulfillment, the completion of the law. He's come to fulfill the law, e- even in his teaching. And so we need to heed and hear what it is that he's teaching, including in this painful, difficult area of retaliation and our natural inclination towards it. Let's just be honest. So I'm going to look at this. We're going to look at this. You can see it there in your outline. Coming at it from three uh, angles because it's incremental, moving progressively through, through this. First, we're going to look at the command itself. What is Jesus addressing? Secondly, we're going to look at the correction that he is making, not to the command, but to the way it had been interpreted and taught. And then thirdly, some cautions that we need to keep in mind uh, for ourselves today as we're wrestling with all of this. So the command, what is Jesus getting at? Verse 38. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. All right, again, this is this contrast that he's making clear between the command and how it had been filtered to the people. And to get at that, what we need to look, break this down between what was said originally and what that meant and, and what, how it was being read at the time, interpreted, and applied. So first, how, what was it that was said? Moses' time, the lex talonis. I think that's roughly the right way to pronounce this. I don't know why, so bear with me. Um, the, the lex talonis, that, that's the, the law, the principle of retribution. That's what this is getting at here. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, to our modern, sophisticated ears, that sounds ugly. It sounds like a bunch of you know, maimed, toothless people walking around. It sounds really ugly and, and harsh, but you need to understand the original context in which that is coming in the ancient world. That is not meant to sanction revenge. It's meant to restrain it. It's meant to hem it in. Uh, it's, it's meant to, uh, to, to guide judges in their sentencing in the ancient world. That's what that was about. And to prevent and cut the, the legs out from underneath. Well, that doesn't sound very good in this context. But anyway, to, 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 to stop the, the inclination towards the blood feud and the escalation of, of all of that. That's what this was about. So it's not, it's not maybe what you, you think it is. Now, in Jesus' time, the physical retribution the eye for eye, tooth for tooth, had given way to financial damages. That's the way this kind of thing was typically handled in the first century. So understand, Jesus is not actually addressing matters of physical brutality as just principles of retribution and justice. Okay, now that's going to come into play later. Just just keep that in mind. All right, so that's what this is about. How was it read? How was it interpreted and applied? By the time you get to Jesus' day, the Pharisees and the uh, scribes, the teachers of the law, had, had uh, taken in and were teaching this rather warped perspective on this principle. No longer was it meant to really limit revenge. It is now, they were taking it as something that was actually being commanded. So, take the eye, take the tooth, you know, in, in, a, in a financial sort of, of way. 
Um, it was not so much, they weren't reading it so much as a means by which to restrain things, but rather to pursue things. Get your due. Get your rights. That, that sounds very 21st century, doesn't it? Um, it's what you're owed. So, so you've got the, the warped perspective, and then you have the, the expanded sphere. No longer, according to the scribes and Pharisees of Jesus' day, no longer was this reserved for judges in a court of law. Now it's okay and it's applicable to individuals and their interpersonal conflict. So what they have done is taken something and they are now using it to excuse the very things it was meant to prevent. Taking things into our own hands and getting what we think we're due. Now, so that's the command that needed to be addressed, and Jesus is going to press hard on that, and, and we need to push on forward now into the second point. But before I do so, I just want to say this. Be careful. Don't stop at this point and think to yourself, stupid Pharisees, stupid scribes of the law, I would never do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, though the ways in which we tend towards reading things in a slanted sort of way, or approaching things in a twisted sort of way that are according to what benefits our desires and our aims and our goals. Maybe, maybe we don't just outright you know, break the law and the rules, but we sure are good at twisting them beyond recognition. Like these guys. It's a very human thing. A very human thing. Well, I don't have time to dwell on that. But just point, pushing on. Point two, the correction that Jesus gives to all of this. Um, what needs to be set straight? What need, Well, to, to get at that, we've got to to handle some clarifications. Uh, I'll put it this way. We need to pull some weeds so that our understanding and study here can be fruitful. So first thing, the clarification on this idea of resistance. Uh, Jesus says here in uh, verse uh, what is it? verse 39, um, 38-39, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Note he does not say do not resist the evil one. He does not say we should just lay down and let the devil have his way in his temptations and his accusations and his deceptions. Rather, we are commanded to resist the devil. It is not, so he's not saying do not resist the evil one. Nor does he say do not resist evil. As though it would be okay to just turn a blind eye towards our neighbor who is suffering in, in the throes of poverty and injustice and racism and, and think we have no role in addressing that. We are commanded to get involved in that when others are suffering in, in that way. So that's not what he is, is saying at all. So that's just a few clarifications on the points of resistance. Also, I want to say something about pacifism. This text is oftentimes wrongly appealed to to make the case for pacifism. Now, please understand that Jesus in no way is saying that there's anything wrong whatsoever with military power or police force. He is addressing something entirely different. He is talking about the responses of individuals. You get that? Individuals, one to another, when one person hurts another, how is the other going to respond? That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about international politics or even civic organizations and structure. I mean, please know... The state is a divine institution. Read Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2. So Jesus is, is in no way delegitimizing military service or police service in any way at all. 
or, or the usage of such force. So, clarifications. Those are some resistance, passivism. Those are some things clearly Jesus is not saying that we need to be clear on. What then is he saying? What then is he saying? Let me read it again, verses 38-39. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, so here comes, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. What does he mean by this? Now this is hard, but I just have to, I just have to say this. What he is saying is this, that for his followers, when they are hurt by another person, they are not to retaliate. They are not to respond in kind. They are to absorb it and accept it. I'm going to unpack that here in just a minute. But that you understand how completely against the grain of our natural tendency, what Jesus is speaking of here, how absolutely radical this is, how unnatural this is. But he, I mean, just look at what he's saying. Do not resist the one who is he? He's not saying that retribution and justice don't matter. That's not what he's saying. Don't hear him say what he's not saying. But we are to understand that we are to leave retribution and justice in God's hands and to not take those things into our own hands. And by the way, as we do that, nor are we to be harboring bitterness in our hearts. You see how hard this is. Humanly speaking, how impossible this is. Now, to help us understand, Jesus then unpacks this with four examples to help us grapple with what he means when he says what he does there in verse 39. So let me take them one at a time. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Here's the first one. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Please, folks, this is not about self-defense. That's not what he's talking about here. He is not in any way addressing the issue of whether or not you should defend yourself when you're physically in danger. It has nothing to do. You need to understand the culture of the ancient Near East, and even today, the right-handed backslap. That's what he's talking about here. You take the right hand, and you go like this, and you hit the other person's right cheek. That is not so much in that culture a physical assault as it is a grievous insult. That's what that's... It's, it's, it's not a physical assault. You understand? It's the worst... One of the worst things you could say or communicate to a person. It's just done in a visceral, physically expressed sort of way. So what he's saying then is, my followers, when you are insulted grievously, do not return it, do not retaliate, absorb it, take it, turn the other cheek. That's what that means. That's the first one. He pushes on, verse 40, and if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Jesus is not here envisioning cold and naked disciples walking around in the streets. But I think that's the way some people take this, and that's absurd. So let's understand what he does mean, okay? Let's take this seriously, grapple with the culture of the time and what he's getting at. The tunic was the innermost garment, okay? The cloak was the outer covering. And in that world, in, according to those laws at the time, it was absolutely prohibited to take anyone's cloak. That was their inalienable right. It was illegal 
to take a man or a woman's cloak. So what is Jesus saying? My followers, be ready to yield what is rightfully yours. You see? Thirdly, verse 41, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. So how many, I mean, again, do you face that literally in the 21st century here in the West? No. What did it mean in the first century in the Middle East? Judea was Roman-occupied territory. It was hardly uncommon to see Roman soldiers, you know, in, in walking around. Nor was the practice of impressment or commandeering of the property or labor of a local in the service of said soldier. Now, this was horribly offensive, you could imagine, to the locals to be impressed or commandeered in that way. They hated that. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, when you are asked to do something that you just viscerally do not want to do, don't just do it. Do it, and in kindness, ask that person who has offended you so greatly, how much more can I do for you? Where do we get the phrase, go the extra mile? That's what this is. Fourthly, verse 42. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, please again, this is not encouraging a welfare state. This is not about encouraging laziness or the irresponsibility of other parties. But I'll tell you what it is encouraging. It is encouraging radical generosity on the part of Jesus' followers. He is saying, give sacrificially to those in need. Give to where it is inconvenient for you to do so and pass that point as well. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Now, all, all of this is traced back to what he means there in verse, uh, the first part of verse 39. Do not resist the one who is evil. This is how he is clarifying the command and giving us the corrections that we need. And now we just need to think in terms of some practical application. What do we do with this? How are we tempted to strike back, to, to retaliate, to respond in kind to those who have hurt us? Well, I mean, one way we talk about this is to just stay at the surface. And we could talk about what I'll call far things. Far things, like projecting ourselves, transposing ourselves into some historical event or some news of current event and say, well, no, I mean, if, if that was me, that's how I would have reacted. That's what I would have done. You know, and, and well, maybe so, maybe not. And that might be, to some limited degree, a helpful exercise, but let's go a little bit deeper. And I alluded to this just a few weeks ago in a different context, and, and, it's, but it, and I'm going to say it again just because it's so very true to life. You're driving down Wilma Rudolph trying to negotiate the craziness. And someone cuts you off. How do you respond? And then tell me what your response tells me about your heart. Ooh. You see? This is not just about road rage and impatience and traffic, but where is your heart? Because what's coming out of you, what you're doing in that moment, what you're saying, maybe not doing, but saying and thinking about doing, I've thought about having like photon torpedoes on my car, you know? But I mean, those kinds of things. I mean, that's insane, but it's also a reflection of my insane, wicked heart. Let's push a little further. You're accused of something. 
that you didn't do. How does that feel? It hurts. You, 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 you um, I don't know, you, uh, you took something. That's what you're told. Or you, you broke something, maybe physically or metaphorically. Or, or you stirred something up again. Or, or your motives. I know your motives. I know why you did that. You know, right? Like, oh, thanks. <laughs> it hurts. And we all know something of what that feels like in some realm, right? How will you respond? In kind? Retaliating? What does Jesus say here? Now, it may be possible, depending on your circumstances, let me just throw this out regarding that particular application, it may be, in fact, not just possible, but necessary for you to set the record straight. But even still, I would say, in what spirit will you do that? And what means by which will you go to do that? What's your end game? What's your motivation? Whose name is at stake? Yours? Is that really what this is, needs to be about? Again, Jesus has come to fulfill the law. We need to heed his teaching. Lastly, let me just press hard here in these cautions that we need to consider. Uh, the third point, things that we, that, that, that we um, are going to run into to the extent that we ignore what Jesus is saying here. And I want to say two things. First, the results of ignoring it and the reasons that we tend to ignore it, I guess you could say. So the results. So the, you know, the results of just coming naturally. The results of doing what comes naturally. Excuse me. One would be escalations. You know? Um, ignore our, our arguments become more heated. Our positions become more entrenched. Our divisions become more stark. And the trajectory of things becomes more pronounced as things escalate. And as they escalate, what does that then lead to? Casualties. And I'm just talking relationally. Casualties at, the, at your workplace, wherever that may be. Casualties at the family reunion, or the kitchen table, or the sanctuary. Because we allowed things to escalate. Casualties in terms of relationships, casualties in terms of opportunities. Opportunities that we had in that moment to do something, to demonstrate something, to model something that's so rare and gospel radical. Opportunity lost in, in that moment. Results, reasons, reasons. Why do we do this? Oh my goodness, if that's what kind of things that's at stake, if I could get my head rationally around this, and why would I... Okay, here's why. I'm insisting on my rights. I want what I want. Don't you want what you want? Now, what do you do when you want what you want? You demand it. You insist upon it. You mark out territory like a dog in the yard. And you will defend your territory. You will defend what you desire and demand, and you will go to war for it. An insistence on your rights. And not just that, but I'll add this also, another layer, and that is a preoccupation with your needs which is oftentimes a very godless perspective. That, by that I mean just leaving him out, as though he's just not even part of the equation 
Or He's so remote that we're not even thinking about Him. And what that means is, is that we think that it's up to us to right every wrong and up to us to meet all of the perceived needs that we have. And then what happens is we begin to rationalize and then we retaliate and then we have the escalation and the casualties and the other person responds in kind and now we have this wonderful cycle. We act like Jimmy Malone, Sean Connery's character in The Untouchables. I know it's an old film, but it's a great line. The Untouchables, the, the G-Men, the, the agents, they're trying to take out Al Capone, Depression-era, gangster, Chicago. Here's what Jimmy Malone says. You want to get Capone? Here's how you get him. You, he pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. That's how you get Capone. That's fantastic entertainment. Just gets my blood going. Just quoting it. It's a terrible way to live. It'll kill you. The escalations and, and, and the, the casualties and, and, and all of that. Jesus came to fulfill the law, my friends. We need to hear and heed what it is that He has to say. Let me read to you these words from 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, if you're trying to find it, it's after Hebrews and before John and its letters. 1 Peter 2 verses 21 through 25. Listen to this description. 1 Peter 2, verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. What's going on here? This one who is speaking here in Matthew chapter 5 to us came for us. When he was reviled and rejected, when he was injured and insulted, how did he respond? With us in mind, by the way. With us in mind, how did he respond? He, go back to those, those uh, four things, those four examples. He turned his cheek. He yielded what was rightfully his. He went the extra mile and he gave himself in full. Do you see? For us. For us. That we might be forgiven and free. Now, I'll just end with this simple statement. Somewhat simple. Somewhat convoluted. Okay. So what he has said to us here in, in Matthew 5 is extraordinarily hard. Is it not? Can we agree on that? Impossible. Unnatural. But given what He has done for us with us in mind, can we not then also equally say that what He is saying to us is for our good? 
with the promise and assurance that He is with us as He says, follow me on this path. And the assurance and promise that He is with us as we do. He's come to fulfill the law. May we heed what He has to teach us, including on this difficult, painful struggle of retaliation. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we hear in these words echoes of something, something that somehow strikes a chord within us, of, no, of, of something no, noble, Good and right, and somehow in some way there's a fittedness, even as hard and against the grain at one level, at the same time we find ourselves drawn to one who would say these things and live them out and live them out with us in mind. So even as counterintuitive as all this is, that we, we acknowledge there's something compelling here. And we confess that, that we need to be more fur, further, more deeply taught and shown what this means in our own lives, and, and, and but not just that, equipped and enabled, because we can't. So for your namesake, as your followers in this world, for your namesake, we ask that you would help us. And for this world's sake, we ask that you would help us. Walk in your ways. And it's in your name we now pray. Amen. If I may ask our ushers to come forward, we are now at the point in our service where we are responding to our Lord's grace for His having done the very things that we've been talking about here, um, doing the very things that He's called us to do, so we are but responding to that uh, in gratitude. Um, read these words to you from Proverbs 30. And some of you may have heard me say this before. Uh, as long as the Proverbs are, and as many of them as there are, this is the only prayer that you find in the whole book of Proverbs. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God.